Greetings, salutations, hello, and welcome to On Milwaukee's post-game tailgate, the Wisconsin sports and pop culture podcast that's powered by the Drew Olson Show on the Big 920. I am sports editor Jimmy Carlton, and perhaps joining me a little later when he's done scooping his big exclusive scoop outside this conference room will be pop culture Matt Miller. But in the meantime, very, very happy to bring on our... um, Somewhat related to on Milwaukee, in the Amawaki family, um, local Bucks fan expert. He's the uh, Bucks multimedia uh, uh, extraordinaire uh, and former Save Our Bucks ambassador. Possibly the reason we still have a team in this city. Although last night didn't look like we deserved one. This is Paul Henning. Hi, Paul. Hi, Jimmy. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. How did you like that? How did you? What did you think of that intro? Uh, it summed it up pretty good. I'm kind of you know. Um, Jack of all trades, and master yeah. of none. Uh, what, what I've learned on the podcast is that if I just keep talking and, and using enough words and describing things long enough, eventually I sort of like uh, find my way to the end and encapsulate somebody. Yeah, you just kind of got a, got a wheel of uh, adjectives and just go through it all. <laughs> right. and eventually, you get it all. Yeah. Um, so we are here to talk about the Bucks. Um, not that they deserve it after last night, but they are now playoff bound, or they were playoff bound anyways. And um, as we'll get into, they sort of managed to. Um, trip and fall backwards last night over themselves into a pretty decent spot. Um, the Bucks lost last night 130-95 to 95 in Philadelphia. Uh, Paul, I know from following you on Twitter that you were watching that game, uh, like the rest of us, sort of uh, through, uh, with your hands over your face, through your fingers. What did you think about the, the Bucks' performance last night? I mean, it was pretty disgusting from the get-go. It was uh, typical of what this team has been uh, throughout the season is – they tend to start slow, get down 10, get down 15, all of a sudden start to make a comeback towards the beginning or the end of the second quarter, go into halftime feeling kind of good, and then the, the game goes one or two directions. They either make the comeback all the way or the bottom just falls out. And the bottom just fell out a lot earlier than we expected. And it was hard to know what to want in that game, if you wanted them to win or if you wanted them to lose because there's two other teams, you know, the Heat and the Wizards, uh, were jockeying for position. All three of those spots were up for grabs. And then as an added uh, layer of complexity, uh, the Bucks draft pick actually, uh, which is something, you know, as Bucks fans, we've constantly in years past wanted them to lose a certain number of games right. uh, at the end of the season when they were completely out of the playoffs. So going into the playoffs, trying to jockey for position and having that draft pick on the line kind of made it more complicated on what to do with where you wanted them to go, and and fortunately, everything seemed to work out in the end. Yeah, it really did. And uh, you know, this was—I think it's safe to say this was the worst, their worst game of the season by far. Um, certainly by point differential, um, but they just—they were listless. They looked bad. They looked indifferent. Um, it, you know, as you sort of said, it, it worked out because they got—they um, got into the seventh seed where they're going to face the Celtics. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, you know, arguably a better matchup. Um, but I know you've been a Bucks fan, a diehard Bucks fan for a very long time, so you've lived through. Um, um, these much of the same era that I did, which was this Herb Cole perpetually striving for the eighth seed spot. And while they were a little bit beyond that, because you know they had, they had already clinched the playoffs a, a few days, a few games ago, um, and were in the position to get this sixth seed, it did sort of have that feeling of you know that we've had before, where it's like, yeah, but if you're if, if all you're doing is just like scrapping just to get this seventh or eighth seed. Who cares? And then you have that added that added element of the draft pick being in play, um, which it looks like there's a chance they're going to get to keep their draft pick um, as well, right? Yeah, it'll come down to a, a coin flip tomorrow with the uh, Phoenix Suns. And, uh, you know, there's there's two trains of thought and, and whether you want to keep the draft pick. And, and the Bucks have only have a limited number of options to get better. And right now you want to get the team better uh, so that we can go farther. We can tell Giannis we're a competent organization that's on the up and up um and we can you know use that to either maybe move a draft pick out uh com- combine with another young player like Thon and maybe turn that into something else um but there's other people that are looking a few years down the road <laughs> right, because exactly. worst case scenario is something that bucks fans plan for so worst case scenario with this situation is it could become unprotected in 2021 right and everyone's Which happens saying to be the year that Giannis could be gone right so if Giannis is gone you really want that but then there's the whole other train of thought saying well it doesn't really even matter at that point if Giannis walks away what is a mid-range draft pick well it could be a high pick um but at that point you know that's a whole other conversation but at this point you know I think it would be better 
for right now, obviously, to keep the pick because then that opens up options on how to improve the roster. Right, I think you're right. I mean, at this point, it's an asset, and they've shown before that they they're willing to move these move pieces like that. And yeah, I guess it's sort of it's sort of symptomatic of what it's like to be a Bucks fan. And I bet you, uh, like many of us, sort of thought we were past this point of like having to look three or four years down the road because. You know, as the Bucks have done a really good job off the court in terms of their marketing, their business ops, and the, the new arena and the excitement around the team, they've they've really built people up to be excited about what the product. But as we've sort of uh, found ourselves back in the same spot of like the season is not going the way that it was supposed to go. They are, as my co- colleague Matt likes to say, consistently inconsistent and predictably unpredictable. And last night was was just a deplorable way to go into the playoffs unless you're one of those sort of like you take that dumb sports media narrative of like you want to get your bad loss out of the way or something. Yeah, I mean, they've had them in the playoffs before, um, and you obviously wanted to go into the postseason with some better feelings. And they were trying to work in Brogdon and Delhi, and, uh, um, you know, Giannis came back from injury. So you really want to have just better feelings. And, and a lot of the problems that have been plaguing us were on – Full display, but amplified last night. You know, they were picking us apart from three. They were getting shots at the rim. There was little defense. There was bad rotations on the Bucks' part. You know, everything that could go wrong was going wrong last night. And, of course, it was on national television. So every time we seem to go on ESPN or TNT, these losses aren't just losses where it's like, oh, hey, the Bucks have some pieces. They're competing. They're getting close. It's almost there. Uh, you know, I was at that Wizards game. That was another game on, on national television. We seem to have the worst kind of losses on national television, which is just the worst uh, feeling as a fan because you want everybody around the country to say, oh, hey, they're on the up and up. They have Giannis. They have Jabari. They have Middleton and Bledsoe. You know, they're going to make it work. It's just a work in progress. But when you just get obliterated like that, when it's 70 to 29 at one point, you know, it's it's real tough to take anything away and feel good about that. Yeah, it was it, it, you, you always want to avoid the potential narrative and the 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 the, the sort of someone talking into Giannis's ear from on the national side or from the from some other team talking about, you know, you guys are you really want to be here where this is this calamitous, disastrous team that, you know, gets blown up by 40 on national TV. Right. Because you think about, you know, a lot of other NBA players, they don't sit around and watch every NBA game. Right. You know, they only see sometimes when uh, those national games are on and they, they look at and they go, these are the guys Giannis are playing with. You know, this is how they're playing. Like, oh, I want to face these guys in the playoffs or I want to talk to Giannis at the All-Star game. I want to get in his ear. You know, it's it's just that sort of mentality that Bucks. you know, as Bucks fans, you know, we've always had a obviously a defeatist mentality. We've had a uh, inferiority complex as a city and uh, we're always, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it'd just be nice to hear you know, that sort of national joke just kind of go away at some point, and it just never seems to be going away. I don't know about you, but going into last night, um, you know, there was all these, there were there were all these scenarios, there were all these potential outcomes and tiebreakers and playoff positioning in place, and so you almost, you go in, you're like, I think a lot of, I think some fans wanted them to just straight up lose and either tank the game, some people wanted them to win the game, um, you know, just, just to keep the pick, and some people wanted them to keep that sixth spot, regardless of what was happening with other the other teams and uh, you know, I for me, I was like, I, I think the Bucks would match up okay against Philadelphia. I mean, they've won fifteen; they'd won fifteen games in a row. Sort of that be damned. They're, it's a young team. It's still sort of like, you know, at some point the bottom's going to fall out. You don't know whether Joel Embiid and his face are going to be all completely healthy. But um, you know, last night was a clinic by Philadelphia about like you sort of alluded to this earlier. All of the you know the the very specific things that the Bucks suck at. I mean, they. You watch this team that like cannot stay home on three point shooters. That loves to just sort of chase the ball, follow the ball, pursue like you know like a, like a dog whose you know whose owner has thrown a tennis ball uh, and then all of a sudden fakes. Like they they just they cannot defend the three point line. And Philly is a team with the, with fantastic ball movement. And Bill Ben Simmons is just was just a wonder to watch. Finally, um, you know, he, and Mark Fultz putting it all together. Um, I very much now I'm glad that the Bucks are not going to face Philadelphia because that looks like the, the kind of kryptonite, um, a team that could be like a kryptonite for Milwaukee. Yeah, they're they're kind of a buzzsaw for us. And, you know, a lot of coaches after a loss like that, they say things like, you know, we're going to burn the tape. You know, we're just going to get that out of our mind. That's not something that I would think that Prunty is doing because of the way that they lost. It was the same recurring theme of, um, you know, they're getting into the paint, they're finding their shooters. Um, they're they're moving the ball better than us, and, you know, they're just literally picking us apart and putting up, putting on a clinic. And, and you can see the, the differences in the quality of the coaching that the Sixers have versus the quality of the coaching that the Bucks have. And even if they went out there and, you know, 
not necessarily tried to lose the game because they had Giannis out there and they started the game and they looked like they were giving effort. You know, I, I don't think anybody out there was dogging it per se. Uh, they were just knocking down threes and they were just doing exactly what you do when you want to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, they just got one. And then work, work they charged. got down and then everybody did give up at one point. Uh, but I don't think they tried to tank that game at all you know I think they came out and they wanted to win yeah and I don't think you burn this tape either because uh, sort of looking ahead if you know the we're, we're all excited about this Boston draw right because the Celtics don't have Kyrie Irving obviously Gordon Hayward's been out and this is a team that the Bucks were two and two against during the regular season looks like a, a pretty good matchup it was the team it was the Celtics were the the high seat opponent that everybody was sort of trying to um, whether they whether they would admit it or not, you know, jockey and get in position to have that seven seed and face Boston because it looks vulnerable. Um, so it does look like a good draw. But if you're going to look even further in advance of that, if, if you win that series, you're probably facing the, yeah. the Sixers again. Yeah, the, the playoff brackets are set up so the Bucks, if they were were to win, they'd be playing the winner of the Sixers and the Heat. And and obviously, you know, I think and the, the Sixers, the Sixers stole, just are, stole their lunch money. Yeah, I think the Sixers are gonna you're gonna. I think the Heat will give up, you know, a pretty good fight, but but the Sixers are going to win that series. Yep. Um, so if you end up meeting them in the second round, I, I don't think that's a series that the Bucks can win. So um, looking ahead now to um, the first-round series against the Celtics, the Bucks open on Sunday at noon um, in Boston. And, uh, you know, like I said, they, they, they were even in the season series against them. The only game that the Bucks played when, with Kyrie Irving out, uh, you think you said about 10 days ago, um, narrow Milwaukee win. Um, but all through all three games pr- prior to that were really good matchups. Boston looked pretty dominant in a couple of games. Milwaukee looked like they could hang in a couple of games. Um, what is your early read on this series? Um, do you think the Bucks have a chance to upset to, to, to win the series? Do you think they are going to get smoked given this most recent performance? What, what's your uh, uh, gut feeling? I think they're going to have a real good shot to to win the series. Um, the 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 matchup problems that the Celtics present are, are going to be primarily, you know, their front court. They have a uh, a three-headed center monster now with, with Horford, Baines, and now Greg Monroe, who's going to be, um, I think he's going to be out for revenge a little bit. Um, but those are big, beefy centers, and those are the exact kind of guys that the Bucks do have problems with. Um, and then you look at their two wings. They have uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and both those guys are extremely long and talented. Playing at a really high level right now. They can both put up 25 or 30 points on a certain night if you let them. Um, the Bucks have the wing players to match up with them, um, but they're going to be they're going to be a struggle. Both those guys are, are extremely talented players, and they have a good core to build around. So it's going to be, you know, those five guys are really going to be leading their their charge. And uh, Terry Rozier is supposed to be back, but uh, he's been out for a little bit, so we'll see, have to see how effective he is. Their their bench is not very deep. I mean, they do have. Uh, uh, a Morris twin who's always been a, a Bucks killer. Yeah. Um, so they got that coming off the bench for him. Um, but you know the Bucks have always been you know talented on paper this season. It's a matter about you know playing together and and doing the things they need to do to win, which is um, you know playing as an actual team instead of just a collection of guys that are all all looking to play isolation ball. So hopefully you know a switch kind of turns on, but I don't know. You what know, that looks like, right? I don't yeah. know exactly what that looks like. Um, I do think Brogdon is going to be a huge plus for them, and hopefully um, they're confident enough in him to start him because uh, I think you can't wait on Tony Snell anymore. Um, he can come off the bench, and if he's going to give you something, he's got to show right away. Because right. if he doesn't, you better go to uh, to Brogdon or Delhi or uh, Sterling Brown because there's no more time to wait on on Tony Snell being the guy that they paid. Uh, for his last year production. Yeah, I mean, he's been slumping almost this entire season. I think Brogdon also comes in. He gives you a little bit of composure and poise on the ball, some some you know, added playmaking ability that you're just not going to get with Tony. If Tony Snell is your, is at his best, he's a, a, a serviceable 3 and D guy, but he's just not hitting any of his threes, and he doesn't bring you anything else there, right? right? Yeah, I mean, he can play the two because he's quick enough mm-hmm. and he's long enough, but he really is more of a three because he can't handle the ball at all. Right. And Brogdon gives you an option to, to bring the ball up the court, and uh, Bledsoe can play off the ball a bit, which is a good thing. Because Bledsoe isn't—he's not a—not that not he exists anymore. But it's not really—he's not really a pass-first mm-hmm. prototypical point guard. Right. Uh, and he can do some interesting things. You know, we saw a few games ago, um, him and Giannis had a little meeting, and Giannis brought the ball up, and 
uh, Bledsoe cut baseline and, and <laughs> mm-hmm. had a uh, baseline dunk, you yeah. know. Uh, so he can do some things off the ball that, that really creates some pressure on the defense, and, and having Brogdon out there should open those things up for, for Bledsoe. Yeah, when I look at this series, there's sort of three areas that stick out to me, and you, you brought up one of them that I think is, is at the forefront of people's minds, which is their front court. I mean, uh, Al Horford destroyed Milwaukee in the in the season. I mean, in the the first game that returned to the Mecca game, um, and Baines and Monroe are both the types of centers that just give Milwaukee huge problems because their collective the center, their centers collective weight is like 212 pounds, um, and those guys are bruisers and just will you know work the inside. Uh, the other the other areas, of course, I mean, we, we, we talked about this off mic. The, they're gonna get they're gonna get be, be out coached. That's just we sort of can go into this. Brad Stevens, if not the best, one of the best coaches in the NBA. Um, and we saw this last year, um, even in advance of Dwayne Casey, when people still didn't necessarily think he was a, it was a great coach. He was mm-hmm. didn't have the reputation that he's gotten this year of basically introducing shooting threes to Toronto. <laughs> but Which uh, he wasn't completely behind. <laughs> no, there, right? But. Yeah, sort of sort of gained a, a reputation a little bit by their um, team's better performance. But um, but he made adjustments, you know, from the yeah. from those games three, four, five when when Milwaukee looked like they were going to you know turn an upset um the bucks got out coached that last year too and i think they're everyone who's who's watched the bucks and knows what kind of coaching personnel they've got with joe prunty compared to brad stevens they know that the adjustments and the the the, the, the game to game sort of chess match between the teams is going to favor um boston um and the third thing that sticks out to me obviously in this one's this one is is no surprise is you hear when the playoffs start the best player on the court is it is the different is even more of a difference maker the impact is even greater during the playoffs right and uh, you know Giannis is going to be the best player on the court in this series um how do you think that do you think he is ready to um be the kind of guy that can win a series for his team you mentioned obviously the Bucks have to do better at playing as a team and sort of having some kind of identity over the course of five six seven games but can they rely on Giannis to carry them well, they definitely need to diversify their offense, and and one of the big problems with you know why they haven't been more successful on certain nights is teams have a formula to beat the Bucks now, and on defense it's pack the paint. You know, don't let Giannis get into the lane. So uh, when you get into the playoffs, you know, yes, the best player between both teams often has a major factor in who's going to decide the series. Um, but the game also slows down, and Brad Stevens is going to do that with this team specifically uh, because he doesn't have a Kyrie Irving and he doesn't have uh, you know Gordon Hayward and, and they're missing other guys. So they're going to have to grind these games out. Those are the kind of games that Giannis really struggles to find a rhythm. And if they get out and run on the Celtics, then Giannis can get those transition points. He can get those buckets. He can really put pressure on them and then keep them on roller skates you know, in a sense. Uh, but when it really slows down, down, and if the Bucks shooters aren't hitting their shots, they're just going to pack the paint. Uh, they're going to leave some of our shooters open. You know, if we're relying on Tony Snell and and Delvadova to be hitting threes, yeah. that's not really it's something a risky proposition. Wanna, yeah, it's very risky. So if when the game slows down and they're uh, collapsing on Giannis like that, you know that could cause him some fits. Um, so. Giannis can only take the Bucks so far, um, and that's you know we'll get into another com- part of the conversation where it's you know this offense needs to be more creative to move bodies from side to side because a lot of times you know it, what's most frustrating is when they start the games out and they go to the most simple you know not you know the the, sim- the easiest pass to make is you know. Let's get a switch at the top, and and let's get a smaller guy on Giannis, and let's have him uh, post up on right. the baseline, and then he's going to shoot a turnaround fadeaway guy on a guy that he's got six or seven inches on. You're it. preaching to the choir on that. I, that is so, my biggest pet peeve of the Milwaukee I, Bucks is Giannis fading away against a guy shorter than him when he's already a bad shooter on a mid-range inefficient jumper. Yeah, and it's like the game just started. <laughs> you shouldn't have every play mapped out, but you should have a few sets that you want to execute right. when the, in you the can first script that half stuff. of the first quarter. You should have a few plays that you want to go to to try to get your guys going. And when we just kind of go out there and just throw it to our guy, yeah, and then, just you have, then you have three, four guys standing around, nobody else is moving on defense. And, and that's what you know people you know, talk about when they say our, our offense is so predictable because – it's pretty easy to defend that, you know. They're not, they know what we're going to do, and they know what we're not going to do. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's frustrating that we don't see more creativity uh, because it seems pretty basic that uh, you should be able to just you know get guys moving, you know, get some motion. Offensively, um, you know, Giannis is obviously this um, this predominant force, and um, he's going to be productive. But like you said, and I think most most 
Bucks fans would acknowledge that the, the Celtics, who are both a very good defensive team as a team defense and also very, a smart and a well-coached team, are going to take away a lot of what he does to be effective, which, you know, like you said, clogging the paint um, and forcing them to do some some other stuff. Um Last year, Chris Middleton, who was at the, who was you know that sort of that second banana, that second option, slumped for almost the entire series against the Raptors. Now you can't compare last year's playoffs to this year's because obviously they're two completely different entities. Um, this year they have Jabari Parker back, who is basically you know he's instant offense. The guy has proven that regardless of how many knee injuries he has or how long he's been out or what kind of role he's in, he can put the ball in the hoop. He's obviously going to give up a lot at the other end, but in terms of offense. Do you see one of those two guys as being more of a, an important X factor in assuming that Giannis is, is going to be able to get his 20-25, but is probably not going to be the, the kind of player who just goes Kevin Durant on the series? Who's the guy that the Bucks really need to step up in, 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 in absence of that? I think it's going to be Bledsoe, and I think it has to be Bledsoe. Interesting. Um, he's been playing at a pretty high level for a while now. Um, his shooting has been, well, you know, loads better than a lot of people gave him credit for before the trade. Um, he's really started to heat up, and I think if you look at that matchup um, where he's going to be with Terry Terry Rozier mm-hmm. and then whoever they got backing him up, Kadeem Allen, um, he should be able to dominate that matchup clearly. Um, so Bledsoe needs to be given the Bucks 20 to 25 points a night, six or seven assists, two, three steals um, for them to be able to have a chance to win because I think uh, Middleton historically he's struggled in he quiets in big, big games. moments yeah he he typically blows up in these games where they're playing a Charlotte right. or they're playing uh, you know another team that you know isn't playing for that much and and the biggest moment I think he had a pretty good game against the the Warriors this year uh, but they were missing a lot of guys yeah. um, but but Middleton historically has not shown up well. Um, I'd love to see his splits against teams, you know, playoff teams during the regular season um, because he doesn't really fare that well. And I think on the wings, he's going to be very challenged defensively um, between, you know, Tatum or Brown, whoever he's going to match up with. They're going to run on him. And and he's an old 26. You know, he's got obviously got the hamstring injury, which is a major devastating injury. Um, but he's more picked his spots where to play defense this year. He's had the best offensive numbers of his career. Yeah, his percentages are down a bit. Um, but overall, his numbers are the best he's ever put up. But if you watch him really over an 82-game season, and I know every guy can't play 110% defense on every single play, but for guys that have been watching him, fans that have been watching him, they know his defense has fallen off a cliff this year. And he picks his spots more, and that might be because of his physical limitations. That might be because of the scheme that they're running in. I think that maybe their effort is affected by, you know, if, if you are in whatever job you're in, your boss tells you to execute this vision, and you know it's a failed vision, and, and you have to do it every day, every day, every day, and people are going to publicly criticize you right. uh, for your performance, at some point it's got to beat you down. I so this, yeah. I think I think their effort level has kind of taken a notch because of the scheme. Um, so I think that's a factor. But, uh, you know, you I think Bledsoe needs to be the second most important buck, and, and Middleton is, is a tier down. Yeah. Um, and then Jabari, he's more of the X factor. I think he's going to um, obviously going to be able to give the Bucks a ton of points off the bench. Um, but it's a matter of if he can just keep his nose above water and you know keep his head on a swivel because he defensively you're talking he, about yeah defensively man to man he's fine you know if he's got a guy against him he can he can give him an honest effort but yeah. it's all about the switching and it's and that goes Awareness. back to the scheme yeah. too you know Jabari gets confused easily and he lost a lot of time due to the injuries for his development uh, gelling with these team with his teammates with this team. Um, you know he's he's lost a lot of time, and that really has put a Bucks in a bad position because now we need his offense, but we also need him to be playable on defense. Yeah, I want to go back to the your your Bledsoe point. Um, you know, given what we sort of expect with with um, how the Bucks are going to be coached and what Joe Prunty has shown in his you know, thirty games or so as the head coach, um, do you have any any sense that they're going to make some kind of um, they'll make a, a lineup change and you know put Brogdon in there and have Bledsoe be able to play off the ball because it, it does. And you're right. Intuitively, it seems like it would be an, a, a really uh, useful, uh, a good use of of Bledsoe offensively to get him off the ball where he doesn't have to be that distributing, um, you know, sort of start the offense guy and he can be more of the attacker and, and sort of get around and get to the basket. Um, do you do you anticipate that happening? I, I'm going to predict that. Yeah, I think I think Bledsoe and Brogdon will be the starters uh, come game one. Mm-hmm. I think I think uh, Brogdon looked 
Um, mobile, he looked quick, he looked fast, he, he looked like he was ready to go. Uh, Delhi is a couple steps behind him, um, but I think I think Brogdon is, is ready to go. He's been, you know, doing full court sprints before games, mm-hmm. you know, for a couple weeks now. Um, so I think they held him out just as long as possible, just to, you know, wait until they absolutely had to uh, get him back in there. Um, but I think that's the move to make. I think you start Bledsoe and Brogdon. I think you start Middleton and Jabari, and then I think you keep Henson in there just for continuity, even though. Um, he's going to struggle, um, yeah. but then Prunty can make his adjustments as the game goes on. And you know, if, if Hanson's getting mauled, then you maybe try Tyler Zeller, and if that doesn't work, then maybe you move uh, Giannis to center and see how that goes. So there's there's a few options that he's that he's got as far as the center position uh, goes. And I, I think you know Thon is probably the odd man out. You know, you don't really worry about giving him minutes anymore. It's not going to happen at this point. Right. Yeah. Brogdon's played now 32 minutes in the last two games since coming back from his uh, hamstring and. Um, you know, he, he doesn't. He strikes me as somebody who's 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 right. You know, I don't think he, like you said, the the Bucks took their time getting him back. He certainly um, has looked recovered um, and healthy. Uh, that would be uh, uh, that would be what would seem to be a smart switch um, and a little bit more of a um, risk taking um, uh, move for the for Prunty and the Bucks to make. Um, I want to talk about a little bit about uh, Bucks playoff atmosphere. Um, you go to a lot of Bucks games, and uh, the uh, series against the Raptors last year was pretty fantastic, especially the Bucks coming back 1-1 um, from Toronto, and Game 3 was a blowout Bucks win, um, and it really galvanized, I think, Bucks fans here and the city, and really made for an ex- incredible atmosphere for those couple of those games um what are you are you what, what are you anticipating for this year and for uh, the bradley center it's a it's a tough go i mean um yeah last year was was incredible i mean we we didn't have crazy expectations going into the raptors series uh but then we came home with a split and game three was you know it literally felt like a dream i was i was watching that game and i kept looking at the box score and looking at my buddy and um i'm like I think at one point we were up like 45, 17, mm-hmm. you know, it was just, how is this, how are we doing this? I don't, I don't know. This is awesome. And we left that game. We were up two one. I felt great. You know, I said, we're, we're winning this series. We're going to do it. And then, you know, game six comes and you know, it doesn't happen. Um, so, you know, Bucks fans have a lot of reasons to be very apprehensive about their trust and their excitement. And it's kind of a commodity in their mind, you know, like, if, if I'm going to give you my trust, if I'm going to give you my excitement, if I'm going to give you my my dollars to, to buy tickets and, and go down there and just buy in on this team for this year, like you better not burn me again. And there's a lot of those fans out there that even with how everything played out last night, you know, because I'm on Twitter every single day and I see people and, uh, you know, they're not that excited about this this team, not right now. It's, it's, there's the built-in cynicism, right? And right. The expectation the, of Right, collapse. there's the built-in. Um, but there's been about a half a dozen different points in this season where people have jumped off the ship. You know, there was the Nets loss, you know, just a week ago that mm-hmm. was, you know, really left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. Um uh, you know, coming out of the All Star break, you know, we had the we had the Raptors win. Everyone goes, "Ooh, we're about yeah. to go on a run." The Mavericks and then, loss, and then yeah, there was the Mavericks loss. Um, um, Besides the all that, obviously, uh, obviously the turmoil of just coaching changes, trades, injuries. Um, you know, there's just been so many points of ups ups and downs and right. just tumultuousness this it's, season. It's always it's always a roller coaster, and, and you know, everybody kind of thought we would just get to this point, you know, where it's like, okay, that's all going to be behind us where right. we're going to stop making so many mistakes. Obviously, you're going to make mistakes in sports. You know, players do or do not work out. There's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, but we seem to be making a lot of the same mistakes. Yeah. And it's a different it's a different organization, you know, as far as ownership. Um, but as far as the fans, they see the uniforms, they go to the same building. It's the same team to us. Um, and when we bought in, you know, everybody gave them a little bit of uh, collateral, a little bit of, you know, time and trust. You know, we're not going to beat you up over each one little move. But then when you look back three, four years, you know, you talk about, um, you know, the Grevis Vasquez giving up two picks for him, um, you know, giving Miles Plumlee $50 million. Uh, you know, all the deals added up with Mirza, Deli, Tony Snell. Uh, these are not value uh contracts and you know personally from my perspective and i think what they sold us on a lot is you know we're getting bought by billionaires these guys are um you know you know asset 
kings. You know, they know how to take a business that's failing, turn it into a business that's succeeding. Uh, they've made a lot of money in the stock market. They know how to buy low, sell high. And, and I thought that some of those principles would trickle on down through the organization and they would put people in place um, where they would be kind of mining for players, you know, as, as in terms of stocks as well. You know, they'd be looking to buy low on players, you know, mine for diamonds in the rough. And then, you know, when a guy exceeds his value, you know, when Tony Snell's going to go to restricted free agency and somebody wants to pay him $45 million, yeah, sure. you let him go. SLI. You find somebody else. You know, that's what you're supposed to be able to do. Um, you don't overpay a guy because then it's just going to be a drain on your salary structure and you're not going to be able to make those bigger moves that, that you really want to be able to make to, to get to the point where we're talking about three, four all-stars on the Milwaukee Bucks and we're talking about going multiple rounds in the playoffs. So, well, in terms of asset management, Management, you find yourself, you find the, you know the team scrambling to put a general manager in place. It's right, just definitely not reassuring. Yeah, I mean, and then we've got this triumvirate. We got three owners, you got about thirty minority owners, yeah. and they couldn't come to terms on who the GM should be. Uh, they went to a GM by default because he was already in house. Um, there was, you know, there was organizational dissension where that went so far as you know, Lazary had to contact his lawyer to see what kind of power he had against right. Edens. That's not what you want to hear about your owners when they're supposed to be, you know, a team and it's supposed to be these two guys that are, you know, been lifelong friends or at least very long time friends. And they're supposed to share a certain vision of, you know, this is what how we want to run our organization. Uh, we've studied all these other organizations, you know. Uh, you know, if I if I was them, I would have, you know, their stat guys, their analytics guys be looking at, you know, find me common threads on championship teams throughout the entire league, the entire history. I want to be mining over the rosters and define these common threads over what builds towards a championship roster. What's the factor that really shoots a team up from this level to the next level. And and we just keep making these real boneheaded basic mistakes. And, you know, like they, you know, they had to sell their draft picks to, you know, the one guy, Patrick McCaw to the Warriors and, and they sold Sundarius Thornwell to the, to the, uh, to the Clippers. And they're saying, well, we, we could only have so many rookies on a team. You can only have so many young players. And it's like, well, those are the guys that they ended up going out and trying to find a role. And they signed DeAndre Liggins and right. you find Axel Tupane and like <laughs> these guys. And it's like. If you just invested in a second-round pick, you wouldn't be having to search for these ten-day guys, right? They're, they haven't instilled a whole lot of confidence that even if those there are people in place that should be that are ostensibly doing those jobs, those analytic roles, or those you know those evaluation roles, that they're not doing them well, and that you know these same mistakes are being made. And it goes you know even even as something as basic as when Jason Kidd, who you know wasn't a good coach and certainly wasn't a good quote. Um, by the end of his tenure, is saying thing is is both using is using both sides of the coin of you know we're losing because we're young, but we're young so we have to get better and you know use, losing youth isn't an excuse, but at the same time we're we're young so that's why we're going to lose games and it's like you know there's just the messaging and the execution and the operations have not always been been um, in tandem. Right. Um, the Bucks were 25 and 16 at home this year, which is a pretty good home record, mm-hmm. um, considering you know for a team that's that is it, uh, gets into the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, and you go to a, a, quite a few Bucks games and have been there for some of the biggest Bucks wins when the B Myers Bradley Center, which is a cavernous, uh, soon to um, to be destroyed uh, concrete hockey arena, is bumping and it's just an awesome place to be. Like the, I think the Warriors game a couple of years ago. Um, the playoff series last year. There's there's been many times where it's where it just feels like the best spot in you know all of you know professional sports to be for a Bucks game. Um, do do do, do the Bucks have a home court advantage um, in this series? I mean, do they is there any sort of home court advantage that they are going to be able to get because of the way fans will come out um, for these games? You know, game three and four in Milwaukee. That's the last the last hurrah for the Bradley Center before it gets knocked down. Yeah, I mean, I think there should be enough uh, casual fan excitement. I think the portion of the fan base that's probably most jaded is the hardcore fans. Right. Um, so I think there's probably more interest on the casual fan side because they see uh, the Giannis dunks, they see the Jabari dunks, they see uh, 44 wins, they see a back-to-back 
playoff series uh, berth uh, for the first time since 99 and 2000. Um, so all those things on paper look phenomenal. And, and that's why, you know, you see all this online angst. And that's mostly the hardcore people that are on there engaging the most. Uh, so people go, why are all Bucks fans so unhappy? And that's just those are the ones that choose to engage at that level. You're only hearing them because it's kind of the vocal minority. Um, so I think a lot of fans are excited out there and there will be a lot of seats filled. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be a hundred percent sellout for both games. We'll see. Um, but you know, I, uh, you know, I've seen all the teams throughout all the ages. Um, and you, you know, when I try to take a big picture perspective, cause I was on Twitter and I was getting frustrated and people were going, you're being so negative. You're being so negative. I'm like, well, I'm talking what's going on, you know, and there's little reason to find hope right now. Uh, so, you know, I kind of took a few days off and I said, maybe, <laughs> maybe I need to, you know, just go big picture for the rest of the season and try, just try to accept this team for what it is and try to stop beating them up forever all the problems that we've known are there but let's just see if something special or magical can happen because you never know you know a team can look terrible all year and it's all about being hot at the right time yeah. and, and you never know this team has the pieces to be able to get hot and go into the the postseason and win a series so i think um you know i think there will be a lot of buzz and i and i think you know a lot of people are obviously excited about the new arena um, and this is this is a way to kind of close down this era and and hopefully uh, close it down in a positive way and, and move on to the next one you know you know with a good feeling all summer uh, because there is a way that you could lose this series and feel bad all, all all summer long if they go to six or seven games and still lose I think people will still be you know fairly okay with it but if we get blown out or we lose four one you know I think people are going to be pretty upset and and that could spur more change you know they might question the core they might question Middleton they might question Jabari a little bit more they might question Bledsoe's fit a little bit more uh, but if they have a real close competitive series so I, there are people out there that say I want to get swept you know, I want this team gone <laughs> right. I want this gutted I want it blown up yeah. um, but, very Machia, you know, Machiavellian approach yeah it's a, it's a very uh, you know kind of a masochistic approach mm-hmm. to uh, you know being a fan and that's that's where the that's where the two, um, you know, factions, factions of Bucks fans out there have really butted heads. Is you know, everybody wants the same thing, but the, there's people that want to get to them in very different ways. Yeah, there's the pragmatic fans and the idealist fans, and they're all allowed to be fans. I think you're right. I mean, assuming they don't get stomped, it's going to be a fun series, and it's going to be really fun to have games three and four back here. Um, so you, you mentioned sort of you know look, taking a step back, looking at the big picture, um, and you know if we take a step back and look at the big picture uh, for this current team um, and some of the pieces that they have. There's This is an offseason that is going to be pretty important. Um, there's a lot of decisions to be made. Um, more than you know, every, you know, every season, every offseason, there's there's personnel and there's there's um, staff changes, but uh, they have a head coach that's almost assuredly not going to be the head coach in a month or so, in a couple months. Um, they have Jabari Parker, who's a restricted free agent. Um, they have lots of other decisions to make. They've got contracts of guys that are not, I mean, not, no longer playing, that they're still paying. Um, Tell me about what you tell me what your uh, your short list of guys you want to if you have a coaching preference for the Bucks and um, your off if you're running the Bucks your offseason priorities and what you want to see them do. Um, well, there's uh, as far as the roster, you know, obviously the Bucks need a center. Mm-hmm. I think you got to go into the offseason saying the most important thing, and it doesn't need to be a DeAndre Jordan or a Hassan Whiteside or a $25, $30 million center. Uh, There are guys out there like an Aaron Baines uh, who you could sign for a reasonable salary that can do the things that the Bucs have been missing, and that's why when you see Tyler Zeller come in, Oh, he's boxing out. Oh, right. <laughs> he's able to catch the ball in the paint and finish it. You know, th- those these things are so impressive. But he doesn't have a lefty hook. Yeah, he doesn't have a lefty <laughs> hook. He doesn't have a three-point shot like Thon. He's not sexy. Yeah. Um, but I think you need to find a rebounder. You yeah, need for the eighth year in a row, they need a center. Right? Yeah, you need to find a center. Um, so that's one of the top things on the list. As far as the coaching uh, search, um, you know, I keep hearing about how the Bucks are looking to make a splash. They're looking to make a... Uh, you know, a sexy hire and something to excite the fan base. That's one of the scariest things out there for me. <laughs> I can, uh, I can see on it, your face that is the wrong thing. You, you do it, not want to hear that. It reeks of desperation, yeah. and you hate to see your organization make a move out of desperation because if you just make the right coaching hire and the wins come, everything else falls into place. Yeah. So you don't need to put the cart before the horse. But there is a splashy hire out there that I could definitely get behind. And it's one I think is probably, you know, not... 
This is no inside source or knowledge, you know. This is just my gut is, you know, I think they're going to make a huge push to get Jeff Van Gundy. Mm. And I think that's something that is basketball-wise smart, organizationally smart, and I think the players would relate to, and he could get this team organized in a way that uh, they could play modern basketball. Um, So as far as a big name, he's pretty much my top guy. You know, if I'm looking at, you know, well, they said Doc Rivers is going back to L.A. supposedly, but, you know, guys like him, Mark Jackson, you know, I don't really want any of those guys. What about um, David Fisdale? I could, definitely get, I could definitely get behind a David Fisdale hire. That's, that's something that I think uh, uh, would work out well. I think he's you know in tune with the modern NBA. He's in tune with the players. He's kind of got he's got to kind of kind of have the whole package. And right. when you look down the three to you know, there's former players or there's there's former coaches that mostly are retreads that Retread. you don't want to hire. Um, then there's the assistant coaches that are super hot assistant coaches, um, like the guy in, in Toronto, Nick Nurse, that's mm-hmm. uh, revolutionized their offense. Um, sure, he did all that, but can he lead a team? Can he inspire players? Can he manage egos? There's all that going on as well, too. And then you got the former players, which is I don't think the Bucks would go down that road again. Um, no Jerry Stackhouse is in our future? I like Jerry Stackhouse. I think he's done a lot of good things with the with Toronto G League. Yeah. Um, he's also a guy, he's, he's very high, high-tempered, though. I don't know where he's at with that, but he's notorious <laughs> for punching guys. Um, with the hothead Jason Kidd getting out of here, I don't know if you'd want to really dive in on that. Yeah, we don't need any more bald um, hotheads. But the other former Hall of Fame point guard that I would get in on uh, is Steve, Steve Nash. Nash, right, of course. Um, because, well, we saw that video of him playing soccer with Giannis. <laughs> and just in that little interaction, you can tell so much about personality because we've seen those videos of Jason Kidd. And, you know, he, he the things that they always said at the end of, of his tenure was he wore guys down and everybody said how positive Joe Prunty is. And, and, you know, Kidd ruled with kind of an iron fist and he alienated guys. And and I think you, you need somebody now. That's very old school. You need somebody guy, You need somebody now who's going to relate and inspire and motivate. And I think Nash is the kind of guy where he's that kind of a person and personality. If you've watched any of his videos or just heard how he's talked, how he talks about life, how he talks about other players, how he talks about his passions. That's a guy where, where guys will look at and, and say, I want to go out there and lay everything on the line for him. Um, so that's a guy who I am personally intrigued, and I would throw a huge offer at Steve Nash. I think he would check all the boxes. Uh, I think he would, you know, he's worked on tons of work with with uh, Golden State and Steph Curry and point guards, obviously. Giannis is a very unique point guard. Uh, but so those are my two dream guys. You know, if you could put Jeff Van Gundy or Steve Nash as a Bucks head coach in the fall and tell me I'm getting one of those guys, I'd be happy as a clam. And Outside of that, you know, I don't really know who I really want. If you can't get those guys, maybe uh, try Scott Skiles again. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> yeah, another guy who's just from the old school, old school of NBA. Yeah. Uh, um, but then, yeah, I mean, it, to go back to, you know, the offseason yeah. in general, um, I think this playoff series is going to tell him a lot about who Jabari Parker is and what he can do and whether or not his future is with this team or if it's somewhere else. Um, Because I think he presents, you know, such a conundrum of a player. Um, But I think, you know, everyone kind of minimizes what he can and can't do. Uh, Oh, he's just a score. Well, the goal in the NBA is to score. You know, that's one of the most important skills that you can have. And I think the easiest comparison for him, at least for Bucks fans, is Glenn Robinson. Mm -hmm. You know, in the right system, with the right players, with the right team. And the right role. Dude is a legitimately, extremely valuable player. He's an all-star. Jabari should, you know, if his career, if he stays healthy, he should be a two or three time All Star. Yeah. Might not be a ten year All Star guy, but a two or three time All Star kind of guy. So I think he is a guy that you could work into the lineup, and they should fit. But you need to have the perfect pieces around him, and, and one of those pieces is a center. Um, so if the Bucks don't, you know, get a center, it's kind of it's going to throw everything off. Um, but you know, if they don't just out and out, you know, negotiate with, with Jabari. If you don't get him signed to a contract, you let him go, um, get an offer sheet. You have to match it. You have to sign the trade him. You can't let that value just go away. I won't be completely heartbroken if Jabari leaves and we get another good piece to build this team around and to, that we have for a few years. Uh, but it's got to be a bigger picture sort of um, trade. It can't be, you know, if it's one year for DeAndre Jordan, who's 30 years old, uh, yeah, okay, I'll buy in. I'll see what happens. Giannis and DeAndre up front, that could be interesting. Yeah. Um, but it's got a short shelf life as far as what you're going to get back on that asset. So, and, and, you know, I really hope that the Bucks add more brain power to their front office because I don't think they have it. And that's not trying to call them stupid. I'm just trying to say that they need more people in there that are 
you know, they need a, you know, a guy above the GM. They need a president of basketball operations. They need somebody that's going to execute a larger vision so that they can be thinking three, four steps ahead. Because with a market like the, the Bucks, you know, you're only going to do that. Uh, you're only going to, you know, have success if you keep finding guys like Malcolm Brogdon, you know, who's, you know, uh, as far as talent, a wonderful find. Um, the Bucks are going to need to find more diamonds in the rough like that. Well, and I think we've seen, you know, it's a cross-sport comparison, but I think what, we've, what, what Brewers fans have been so... Um, satisfied by and excited about is, um, you know, not just the winning that has come as a surprise, but David Stearns and sort of the the, the regime, the front office regime on the Brewers, um, you know, personnel side has had a clear plan. And there's been, there were, it was, it was a plan that was, that was transparently um, spelled out Mm -hmm. by Stearns when he came in, you know, clean house, acquire young controllable assets and then it was executed, and they 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 did that. And the fact that last year, you know, for the Brewers, was you know they played above their heads and, and had a really successful season, and this rebuild was was uh, expedited. You know that that's great that that comes along. That's gravy. But what but I think most brewer, really ha- hardcore Brewers fans, and I think certainly the kind of diehard avid Bucks fans that you're talking about, who have just sort of you know been been behind this team for so long, but also like wary of just every. Just, crappy head scratching move that they make sort of one step forward two steps back those are the kind of decisions and the kind of the kind of um planning that they would like to see on the bucks op side yeah i mean i don't think i've seen a level of trust among the fan base and a gm at least in wisconsin sports between that the brewers and stearns have going right now i, I don't remember that happening in a long long time i mean that was happening with melvin for a while yeah. um, but it obviously hasn't really happened since with packers since probably you know, Ron Wolf, and it, and it hasn't ever really happened with Bucks fans. We never had a GM where we just totally trusted. And, you know, the the moves were that, you know, the, the moves on the margins for a small market team are the moves that often win you championships. Um, those are the kind of things that are going to, you know, boost our roster up or just leave it kind of mediocre. Because the hardest thing in sports is finding that talent that generational talent and in in basketball you know there's only five players on the court 15 players on the team Um, you need one guy and then you need two other guys that are really really close to that so we got the one guy we think we might have another guy or two in Bledsoe, Middleton, Brogdon, um, uh, Jabari but none of that is for sure yet so um, it's still got to shake out and uh, the Bucks need to prove to the fan base that they're going to be able to execute this vision and they're going to be able to make moves that are smarter than the other guy. Um, because of, up to this point, they just haven't had those moves where they've really outthunk somebody else. Yeah. So um, Milwaukee-Boston series, uh, over-under on DJ Wilson playing 15 minutes in the series. Oh, that's an easy under. He's not playing. <laughs> well, that would that would mean that the Bucks are in these games then, right? Yeah, I, I don't. It's, the Bucks aren't a team that can really blow other teams out. No. Um, we can certainly get blown out by other teams. Um, Boston, I don't know if they still have the firepower to do that, but with a Brad Stevens team, you can't count that out at all. Um, but I think that every game is going to be a grinded out game, so I think that will keep the scoring a bit lower. Um, I think a lot of these games will be you know under a hundred uh, yeah. as far as what each team is putting up. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be an old school playoff series, I think. Um, the Bucks are going to have to try to break that mold a little bit to kind of get them out and get running. Yeah, ever since they got rid of my boy DeAndre Liggins, I've been um, riding the DJ Wilson train hard, and I can tell you it doesn't. Um, the DJ Wilson train doesn't leave the station very often, but he sets hard picks and uh, inbounds the ball very eagerly when he gets in there. So yeah, yeah, he gets excited for the uh, the dancing. I mean, that's, that's yeah. probably the only time he breaks the sweat uh, right. is is before the game. Taking so. that Rashad Vaughn crown. Yeah. Um, all right, can I get you to give us your prediction for the this this first round series? Um, Gun to your head. I mean, I'm going to say, and, and not just because it's the Bucks same, but I'm going to say Bucks and six. <laughs> Hashtag Bucks and six. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they got it. Um, I think they go there. They've I, been chanting it every home game for like the last month, so. I think the Bucks will do what they did last year. I think they're going to come home with a 1-1 split. And if they can just close out both games at home, um, that's the path to winning the series. They have to take one on the road and then win both their home games. And then once you get it to 3-1, you got three chances to, to win the final game to advance. So I think the Bucks will advance this year, um, and then they're they're probably going to face the Sixers in that one. I don't think they can take. Yeah, the Bucks. Um, but I think uh, if you win uh, the Celtics series, uh, 
that doesn't guarantee that Joe Prunty's going to come back. I think that a lot of people are saying, well, I don't want to win it because that's going to mean Prunty come back. And they, it they seems, think seems irrelevant. Fine. No, it's, they know, the owners know what's going on now. Um, but if they do lose to the Boston Celtics, and certainly in what way they lose to them, um, if they do, if they're unable to, I think that will spur kind of more of a questioning of this core and this roster, and it could spur more changes. Yeah. Um, but the Bucks are very limited by what they have to offer. But they have Middleton and, and Bledsoe on one-year deals going into the summer. So if you're going to make a change, both those guys are very attractive trade pieces to, to go out there and find another piece that you think is going to fit better. All right. Well, if the Bucks do end up winning, it'll be their first playoff series win since 2001. Um what do you remember about that team? Uh, I had just moved here, up, actually, to the uh, east side. and I transferred to Milwaukee. I was in the middle of college, and I moved to Milwaukee in the middle of that season. Um, and that was my first experience. Wow. Of, uh, well, I had been going to Bucks games since I was a kid, obviously, but I'd never been a cab ride away from the Bradley Center. I'd never been that easily accessible to go to multiple games on my own choosing as an adult. Yeah. So I don't know if, you know, if I didn't come home during that time and, and experience that many games during that era, I don't know how passionate I would be even to this day because that was the most fun that I could remember, you know, going to those, going to the Bradley center for those games. Um, it was just a completely different vibe. I mean, the city was literally electric, you know, people wanted to talk basketball anywhere you went, you know, if you had a Bucks hat on, you had Bucks gear on, you know, people were excited about it. People didn't, uh, you know, people didn't trash talk the Bucks like they have for a long, long time. So it was just, it was really, really fun. I wish it would have lasted longer. Um, but you know, sometimes things happen in sports and, and they're very short-lived runs. Um, so I think, uh, you know, that's why I've always kind of wanted to say, you know, Milwaukee's a really good basketball town. Just give us something to root for, and we're going to root for it. Um, but we're really, really smart. We're a lot smarter than people get, give us credit for as far as, you know, because a lot of times you just kind of cherry-pick from the guys you hear on sports radio call-ins <laughs> and guys that pop up on Twitter, and they, you know, a lot of times the lower common denominator guys, you know, are the loudest. So Yeah, you want to um, listen to the uh, Milwaukee podcast for your really in-depth uh, yeah. smart buttons. Yeah, I mean, with the... With the with the uh, advent of podcasts, you know, there's a lot of intelligent talk going on there. Right. And uh, there's a lot of people that know, you know, what they're talking about and, and get it out there. So um, I think this fan base will respond, but they need to they need to have something to believe in. So um, hopefully we get all those good feelings and we can go into the summer with all those good feelings. And then we can have the uh, the arena just there right at the horizon, just waiting for us to, to go to a, a brand new house. Yeah. Well, maybe the, this Bucks team can inspire a new generation of uh, diehard Bucks fans like you. Yeah, it's incredible. 17 I mean, years I was, ago. Yeah, yeah. when I was 20, 21, you know, I was looking up to Ray Allen and Glenn Robinson, and now there's kids, you know, obviously way younger that are growing up with Giannis and the Greek freak as, uh, you know, that's their guy. Like, they're going to be, you know, in their 30s at, at some point, and they're going to say, I remember when I was a kid and I got to watch Giannis the Greek freak, and now the Bucks haven't had a guy like that for 10 years. We need to get a guy like that. And, you know, so everything goes in cycles, and, and, and you just really hope because this isn't just – a special player you know this is a kareem level type mm -hmm. player this is a once in a generation type player for this market so i think this summer is the most important summer uh the bucks have had in probably two decades um and if they don't get it right i think it begins the alienation of Giannis. if they don't so i think that's why people are so on edge because you you have the talk of you know, guys getting unhappy with their small market teams, guys getting unhappy with poor management, and, and it's only a matter of time before they want to go somewhere else. Yeah, the stakes um, but you also high. have, you know, tons of money uh, to keep Giannis here. We can match. We can pay him the super max. We can do all that. Uh, but Giannis is a, is a completely different guy. He's a different cat. Same with Jabari. These guys aren't typical athletes. You know, I could see, you know, Giannis said he didn't really haggle over his – $100 million contract, he said, what are we talking about here? You know, I was selling pencils a year ago. You know, this is fine. Just ink it. It's $100 million. Let's do it. So he could be the guy that says, I don't need a super max. Somebody else wants to pay me $100 million. That's fine. I got a shoe contract for $100 million too. <laughs> so what's that other $50 million that I just lost? It probably doesn't matter to him. Yeah. If he gets $200 million in his bank account, the, the amount of money beyond that doesn't probably matter. Yeah. Well, it'll be really fun. I know you'll be watching. Uh, you guys can follow Paul at Brew City Paul on Twitter. Um, definitely one of the best Bucks follows uh, out there. And um, thanks a lot for joining us, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Bucks and Six. Bucks and Six.